0: The following Knowledge at Wharton podcast is brought to you by Wharton Executive Education. For more information on Wharton's executive course, Full Spectrum Innovation Driving Organic Growth, please visit
1: executiveeducation.wharton.upenn.edu. According to Larry Houston, managing partner of consulting firm 4inno, future competitive advantage will depend on innovation networks. Individuals and organizations outside of a company that can help it to solve problems and find new ideas for creating growth. A senior fellow at Wharton's Mac Center for Technological Innovation, Houston was vice president of knowledge and innovation for many years at Procter & Gamble, where he was the architect of its Connect & Develop program, an approach that helped extend the company's innovation process to include 1.5 million people outside of P&G. Houston spoke with Knowledge at Wharton about how innovation networks function, the ways they can be nurtured, their potential downsides, and the impact they will have on how firms bring products to the market.
0: Larry Houston, welcome to Knowledge at Wharton Podcasts.
1: Thank you. Great to be back.
0: I understand that uh, you have been doing some work on innovation networks and arguing that these will be a major disruptive change affecting all companies in the future. Uh, Could you explain that a little bit and why you say that's the
1: case? Well, first of all, uh, again, thanks. Um, First of all, let's define what innovation networks are. Innovation networks are uh, people, uh, institutions, companies that are outside the firm, although they can as well be inside the firm, but for purposes here, they're outside the firm, and they are uh, assets, they're intellectual assets that companies can link up to, to uh, solve problems, find ideas, but to begin to really think about those assets as an extended part of their organization, and therefore quickly create top-line growth and bring new things to the marketplace. And uh, from a a competitive advantage standpoint, uh, yes, I think it's going to be a really big deal. I I don't believe we're at a tipping point yet, but I think uh, in the future, those companies who identify those assets outside and begin to build relationships have a real shot at building competitive advantage and uh, preferential relationships with those folks.
0: So could you give an example of a company that has built an innovation network and is using it to its advantage?
1: Well, uh, I think there are a number of them. I mean uh, Procter and Gamble certainly I've talked about that before, uh, spent a lot of time uh, defining the assets outside that could help it in its various science areas and business areas, and set about uh, developing uh, in different regions of the world's uh, assets, hubs where we could uh, link into those as well as developing a proprietary network of individuals who could contact individuals in different parts of the world. Um, so I think uh, p has done that. I think Boeing has done that with uh, the Dreamliner, uh, particularly around building supply networks that are solving problems. Uh, Microsoft has certainly done that to build out uh, developer ecosystems, as is IBM and, and others. But this is uh, it's a, a a relatively new idea of really thinking about how do you build uh, growth platforms utilizing ideas outside the company.
0: It sounds like there would be concerns about intellectual property when it comes to building these kinds of networks. Uh, is that is that the case?
1: Yeah, I mean, um, there are concerns, and um, I think they're well-founded, in fact. Uh, there are good ways to handle them. Uh, one of the major concerns is, If we go out and share what we're looking for on the outside, it's going to tip our hand to our competition. So one way to handle that might be to not clearly state what the problem is that you're trying to solve. You don't talk about the product application, the end product application, but you talk about the science problem you're trying to solve. And you don't even put your company name on it in some cases. You may do this anonymously. And so people are reading about a, you know, a physics problem or a baking problem, and they have no idea what company it might be coming from or anything. Um, In some cases, however, you might want to deliberately put your name on it because people want to associate themselves with perhaps a big company who can scale their idea, and if you're not concerned about the competition seeing that, you may deliberately want to put your name on it, and my experience has been when you put your name on it, you get about twice the response rate. Uh, The other issue is uh, in sharing intellectual property like this outside, particularly in regions of the world like China, frankly, where there aren't as many intellectual property protections as there are, say, in the U.S. or Western Europe, uh, you do need to be careful in terms of what you share. So you've got to have good practices, good review points, uh, good vetting by uh, your business, by your purchasing people, by your legal counsel. Uh, but with the proper precautions, there's not really a problem. It's just taking what you normally do but scaling it up at a big scale, utilizing you know, the Internet and the ability to globally distribute emails and things like that.
0: In offering the examples of companies that do this, you referred to Procter & Gamble, uh, Boeing, and Microsoft. Does that imply that this is only something for big companies, or can smaller companies also build their own innovation networks?
1: Well, I think no. I think uh, small companies can build them. Uh, In fact, a lot of these practices are based upon the kinds of things that little companies do who don't have a lot of resources. I mean, they're always – Uh, looking at what problems they have. They can't build a given technology capacity or they can't go and hire a group of people. And so they're searching the patent literature, the technical literature. They're on the internet. They're trying to find people who have the ideas and go knock on their door. So uh, it's certainly something that small companies can do. And uh, with the um, development of Infrastructure outside of companies, things like InnoCentive, Nine Sigma, uh, Alibaba in China, the uh, Innovation Relay Center system in Europe, there's a whole infrastructure of companies, some of them government-sponsored, to help you get in touch with companies out there at fairly low cost. So it's certainly something that small companies can do.
0: What are the incentives on the side of the people who participate in the network or the other companies
1: well, what they 're looking for is you know um, recognize that in small companies thirty five percent of the patents in the world are now going to small companies. When most companies built their r and d and innovation capacity it wasn 't long ago that a very small portion of the patents were going to uh, you know these small entrepreneurs of small companies. The world has changed in fact. Many of the most um, innovative people out there are in small companies. They were leaders. They were technologists in big companies, didn't like the environment, and big companies went and become a small company. And so they're out there, and they're doing highly innovative work. But what they lack is market access, scale, an idea that they've, say, cooked up in Japan. How do you take an idea that's in Japan and rattle it to the rest of the world that's the kind of thing a Microsoft or a Procter & Gamble or Eli Lilly or companies like that can do is because they have scale, and the small company has the agility and the entrepreneurship to think, I've got to do this well, I've got to do it at low cost. And you know they have some advantages that big companies don't have. So when you, what you do is you marry the scale advantages of a big company – and sort of the hungry attitude and agility of a small entrepreneur, and that's what you get. You get this capability, and it's you know it's just it can be done uh, in in that way.
0: I think you've made a pretty persuasive case about uh, you know why companies might want to uh, build innovation networks or participate in them. What may not be very clear though is how they go about it. Uh, any thoughts on you know how how a company could uh, do this?
1: One is um, get very clear on what your strategic intent is. Are you doing it to solve a specific problem? You know, I might be a car company and I'm looking for a new battery technology. Well, am I trying to solve a battery technology problem? Or am I like a Procter & Gamble who fundamentally has said the invent-it-yourself innovation model is broken, is not sustainable, Therefore, I've got to uh, build a total new capability. I've got to redefine my organization as my 10,000 people in addition to the 2 million people that are outside and redefine myself as 2 million, 10,000 people. So the first step is to get very clear about why you're doing it and what your strategic intent is. Uh, And then begin to really design the network around this strategic intent. Or do you need just incremental problem solving? Do I need to build idea nets? Do I need to build solution nets? Do I need cost innovation networks? Am I looking for disruptive innovation? Do I need to reach from uh, one domain into another domain of knowledge outside of my industry where I might find uh, more disruptive uh, innovation? So – Getting very clear on that, designing around that, and then, you know, really create a car- architecture participation. How does – how can you involve the outside world? And, you know, I've seen some very interesting things. For example, uh, Toyota at Nagoya, uh, you know, they have supplier days. They have a, a briefing center, and anyone can, you know, theoretically knock on the door and come in and pitch an idea – uh, for Toyota, uh, GE will hold events in China, say in their appliance industry, and they'll invite hundreds of suppliers in and say, "Here are our top problems. Uh, can you solve them?" Um, so, how do you create this architecture of the of participation? where the outside world also can come in as well as you can, you, you, know, you can tap them. So there's a variety of different things that you need to consider in, in terms of the design.
0: So once you've got this architecture worked out, so how does one sort of get the ball rolling? What are things to keep in mind? How do you get a conversation started?
1: Well, the, the number one thing is, again, try to you have to really understand how you're going to use the networks and what you're trying to do. So typically, the best way that networks work is to create a brief or a problem description you're trying to solve. Uh, It might be that you're trying to make a diaper that's flushable in the toilet, a dirty dirty diaper that's flushable. Uh, From a problem like that, you begin to break it up into its components. It might be something that has to hold liquid, yet dissolve in liquid. I mean, it's a very difficult problem to solve that you begin to develop what I would call a solutions playbook for a problem area. And from that solutions playbook, you have a number of problem descriptions. Those get written up in a precise way in a two- or three-page brief process. And then based upon the brief, you develop a taxonomy of science terms and so, in your brief, it may be thirty or forty different science terms, but you want to express that maybe in three or four hundred different ways, because different industries would express it in a different way. And then, what you want to do is find people in the world utilizing search engines, or go to you know yellow pages of people that are known in the world, and begin to distribute out to these people in the world your brief so that you can make a connection and they can get back to you. That's a transaction-based network. So there's a transaction. I want something. I send it out. I get something back. That's one way to go. The other way to go with networks is to think about a relationship-based model. Okay, And what a relationship-based model is to identify – small, medium, large companies that have strategic technologies where I would develop relationships, top to- top relationships between my firm and those firms. and we basically uh, co-invent or collaborate together to create the inventions. The reality is you can't support a lot of those because those are time intensive. It takes you know a couple of years to get them off and going. They need to understand you. You need to build trust in them back and forth. So what you're really doing is, think about this, what you're doing is you're building a portfolio of relationships with the outside world. Some of them will be transactions where you just send things out and look for things to come back. Others will be a portfolio of relationships that you very carefully have thought about And you leverage your networks in that way. So it's this combination of thinking. And this is a foreign concept because people think about their their products they want to take the market, what their portfolio is, but they never think about the portfolio of relationships that it's going to take and the demands of those relationships on the organization. So you have to think about, begin to think about, in this network global economy and in, 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 in networks that we're talking about, as much detail focused on thinking about the underlying capability and portfolio of relationships you want to build in order to build disruption and, and top line growth in your business.
0: You know, when you source innovation from within uh, an organization, uh, the sort of chain of command is relatively clear. When you do it in a network, uh, I can imagine all kinds of governance issues might come up. How, how, how should a company tackle
1: those? It's, number one, trust-based. Uh, you give me something, I give you something back. You can't order people what to do, right? And in the end, your reputation is important. Uh, you, you want to become the preferred partner to the outside world because, look, if I'm Procter Gamble, for example, and I turn off a certain group of innovators, there's the next competitor who can pick up those relationships. So in the end, we're in the competition for building these relationships as time goes on. But I, I think the important aspect of this is really think through the customer-supplier relationship and how do you become the preferred customer of the external world, it's innovators. They want information, they want uh, transparency. They want quick speed and get back to me quickly. They want a fair deal. And frankly, the world word of mouth and advocacy networks are uh, very rapid, okay, because these people all move in the same circles. They all talk ab- amongst each other as we do. And so uh, you have to really think through what is your uh, what is your innovation brand? What do you stand for from how do you, in terms of branding yourself in this you know, global competition for talent?
0: Do companies tend to do this informally as well? And, if, and do you think that there are informal elements of, or informal networks that companies might recognize as valuable as well? Or
1: Oh, there are. You, yeah, uh-huh. yeah. I, I absolutely think so. And, of course, you know, the average scientist uh, knows about 2,000 people. Their Rolodexes probably only have about 400 names in it, but they know about uh, 2,000 people. But they're their typical go-to people. So, you know, that certainly exists. Um, but what what you've got to do is find a way to connect up those Rolodexes inside of a company. How do I find a way to connect up my Rolodexes and also there's tremendous lack of connectivity inside of companies. There was a number of studies done on this. As soon as a scientist is more than a hundred feet away from your office, you tend not to know people. You don't even know their name. And I'll bet I could walk down the hall here and people with probably a little more than a hundred feet from you, you would not know their name. That It happened to me in my office. It happens to all of us. We come in and out and we're we're busy. So we're as isolated within inside our companies. As we are outside, and so there's a major opportunity to utilize these networking tools and approaches inside amongst ourselves with our trusted suppliers who have huge talent bases and then with people outside who really have no reason – You know, to have a relationship with us, other than the fact that we knock on their door and we say, "Hey, we'd like, we we think you're interesting. You might have something. In what way can we create value for our consumers?"
0: We've talked quite a bit about the value of uh, participating in the networks. What are some of the risks or the disadvantages?
1: Well, there's a a couple uh, of them. Again, if uh, you're not smart. You give away things uh, from an intellectual property standpoint, and um, you have to be very smart about uh, deal making because very often, you know, the the it's like the slot machine; the dollar wheels are spinning immediately, and so. Uh, most scientists aren't very good in terms of talking money, and they give away way too much information. And uh, they're, they're not exactly the people that you want negotiating your next car or your next house price, let's say it that way. Um, now, some are, of course. but uh, So I think you have to be very careful about having the wrong skilled people get involved in deal discussions. I mean, that's an issue – uh, the IP uh, certainly is an issue. The other one is, if you're not smart, is the world is so big and you can throw uh, requests out there and you just be inundated with responses. So you have to be very careful to match your absorptive capacity with the outside world. And the ideal network is if you have three problems to solve, three problems, outside people right because you want to contact somebody do a deal and get it in the market the fact that we have to build networks with many people is because that we can't easily get to people and as a result you tend to throw your briefs out and talk to a lot of people but you know things come home to roost at some point and everybody's knocking on your door and you're inundated. so uh, designing the network to match your absorptive capacity is a key issue
0: Well, I'm sure we could continue to discuss this at length, but I think we've got a pretty good idea of what these innovation networks can mean. So thank you very much for joining us.
1: You're welcome. Thank you.
0: For more information, please visit knowledge.wharton.upenn.edu.